And now, it's time for Lawyers for Jesus Radio, lighting our path through law. A show about faith in the law and in the marketplace. Featuring the partners from the law firm Mauk and Baker. Located in downtown Chicago, Mauk and Baker is nationally known for defending freedom and serving the people of faith. And now, Lawyers for Jesus. Good afternoon. Welcome to Lawyers for Jesus Radio. I'm Whit Brisky, and today we're going to talk with Colonel John Eidsmo about freedom of religion in the military. Colonel Eidsmo is a retired Air Force Lieutenant Colonel. He is ordained pastor and serves on the board of Lutherans for Life. He's also a constitutional attorney who has defended homeschooling, Christian schools, the right of students to study the Bible in public schools, and the right to display the Ten Commandments in public. He's authored 14 books, including Historical and Theological Foundations of the Law, I'm an attorney and partner for the law firm of Malkin Baker in Chicago. We are Christian attorneys that focus on serving the body of Christ with its legal needs. We do everything from zoning to estate planning, nonprofit administration to religious freedom. You can find out more about us by going to MalkBaker.com. That's M-A-U-C-K-B-A-K-E-R.com or calling 312-726-1243. You can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter to keep up to date on developments about faith and the law. Colonel Eismo, tell us briefly how you became interested in the subject of religious liberty in the United States military, and particularly for military chaplains. Well, my interest in the United States military, I guess, always stems back even to childhood, but ROTC in college and then commissioning and then serving as a judge advocate or lawyer in the Air Force five years of active duty, 18 of reserve, and subsequently after retiring, then coming in as a chaplain colonel with the Alabama State Guard and later with the Mississippi State Guard, where I'm still serving today. But as far as the religious liberty issues, I guess I'd always had some interest in that, and constitutional law interested me in law school, but I had a special interest in that, I guess, coming back from my days in seminary. This is after I transferred from active duty to reserves, and I began defending homeschool cases and other similar cases involving religious liberty issues. And so the military, the chaplaincy, and religious liberty, I guess those issues all kind of came together. Okay. Could you tell me a little bit about the history of military chaplains, <clears throat> how they came to be, and uh, what their job is, and how it's evolved over time? Military chaplaincy really goes back to probably the beginning of warfare, actually. We certainly know from the Old Testament that the priests of Israel would be there with the troops, would counsel the troops, instruct the troops, and so on. And so they obviously played a role at that time. We know in the Roman Empire that the pagan priests of the Roman Empire would accompany the soldiers to battle and minister to them as they thought their needs were. And likewise, when the Roman Empire became at least ostensibly Christian, that Christian chaplains would minister to the soldiers at that time. We go through the Crusades, and in the Crusades we know that monks and friars would be with the Crusaders, and some of the Crusading orders, like the Knights Templar, in fact, monks were warriors. We see chaplains with our forces during the American War for Independence, on through 
all of our nation's wars, and that continues to today. All right, and, and what uh, what are chaplains expected to do in the military today? For miracles, practically. <laughs> what I mean by that is that the chaplain has a number of unique roles, and those roles become much more difficult as we move into a so-called diverse or multicultural society. But a chaplain, number one, is to minister to the troops, and that means you minister to the troops in all the troops of all faiths, and at the time our nation was founded, that meant that the Anglican chaplain had to be able to minister to troops who were Baptists or Lutherans or Presbyterians or Methodists. Today, of course, it means way beyond the pale of Christianity, and that creates a real problem because the chaplain's regulations, and these are pretty much uniform throughout all branches of the service, but the chaplain's regulations provide the chaplain is to minister to each person according to each person's spiritual needs. Now, you and I know that what each person needs is, in fact, Jesus Christ and his shed blood on the cross. Amen. Because he died for all, and he is the way of salvation for all. But in a society like this, where the military does not recognize it that way, and the number of the troops don't recognize it that way, that creates a difficulty for a chaplain who needs to, let's say, minister to the spiritual needs of a soldier who may be Buddhist or may be Jewish or Muslim or may not profess any religion at all. Now, another role that the chaplain has, though, is that he is, according to the regulations, this is the Army's terms particularly, he is to speak with a prophetic voice to the commander. That means, in other words, that he is to be kind of the conscience of the commander. And we've had instances, for example, in World War II, where chaplains refused to condone certain things that certain commanders wanted to do, and chaplains... The our chaplains in the unit threatened to resign their commissions right on the spot if the commander didn't change his policy, and commanders have given in to chaplains that way. And so that's 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 very interesting, uh, Colonel. Uh, this is Lawyers for Jesus Radio. I'm Whit Brisky from the law firm of Malk and Baker. Today we're talking with Colonel John Eidsmo about freedom of religion in the military. You know, when I was growing up, there were there were two sexes, and you were born with one of them. Gender was a grammatical term, not applied to people. You've said that the military is being used to normalize the acceptance of so-called transgender persons. By that I mean by accepting transgender recruits, and in doing so in sort of a noisy way, at least looking at it from the outside, uh, they're, they're tr- the military is trying to uh, bring acceptance for that to the broader American culture. Can you comment on that? Well, I think you would agree with me on this when I say that there really are two genders. In fact, one doctor who has performed many so-called sex change operations, hundreds of them, has made the statements that I don't change men into women. I mutilate gen- genitals so that they have that appearance. But what people do with that after that is still theirs. Men are still men by their DNA. Women are still women by their DNA. And so I think we would agree that... Trying to change one's gender is really rebelling against the position into which God has placed us. But in the military, 
Well, under the closing days of the Obama administration, there were efforts at supposedly putting into place a transition to where transgender personnel, so-called, would be accepted into the military. And then President Trump at one point announced that he was canceling that program. Now it appears that it is gradually going through, although there's some doubt about that. But getting back to the chaplain, that presents difficulty for a chaplain. Let's say if somebody comes to the chaplain and says to the chaplain, you know, I'm a man, I'm male by birth, but I've always felt like I was a woman trapped in a man's body, or I've come to feel that way in the last year or so, and I think I should really transgender. Hmm. And if you were a chaplain who believes, based on the Word of God, that that is not God's plan, do you counsel him according to your religious convictions, or do you try to meet his spiritual needs as he sees them? Those are some unanswered questions. One thing a chaplain can do in a situation like that is to simply tell the person, well, I really cannot counsel you on that because of my religious convictions this way. If you want me to counsel you in that way, I will do so, but otherwise I can refer you to a different chaplain, and sometimes you can refer them to spiritual resources outside the military community, for example, a pastor downtown that might feel differently about this, but it creates a very difficult problem. So far, for example, the issue about same-sex marriage. So far, military chaplains have been allowed to perform same-sex marriages, but have not been required to do so. If the day comes that a chaplain is required to perform a same-sex marriage, there are some things that he can do. Number one, the regulations of all branches of the service provide that a chaplain is entitled to perform any religious ritual in accordance with the usage of his denomination. And I know I'm maybe rabbit trailing just a little bit here, but sometimes the rabbit trails can be interesting. But I remember way back in the late 80s, as a reservist, I got involved in a matter with a chaplain up at Eilson Air Force Base in Alaska. And anyway, this chaplain had been told by his commander that he could no longer pray in the name of Jesus Christ at commander's call. And this chaplain, a Southern Baptist, believed, well, that's the way we pray. According to my denomination, we pray in accordance with the usage of the denomination. Now, I have to say, I can see the commander's point on that, too, when he has people in his command there at commander's call that are not Christian. How do you handle this? Well, I managed to find a regulation there that simply said that a chaplain is entitled to perform any religious ritual in accordance with the usage of his denomination, and for the time being, that settled it, and the chaplain was free to do that. Now, it may be that the commander never called on him to pray at commander's call, called on a different chaplain instead, but at any rate, he was clear on that. But now, I have to say, this commander may have been far-sighted in recognizing attention here. He made the statement, and this sounds yeah, awfully Colonel, 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 I'll let you finish this when we come back, but right now we've got to take a break. Coming up, we'll talk with Colonel John Eidsmo. I'm Whit Brisky of Malkin Baker, and you're listening to Lawyers for Jesus Radio.
Welcome back to Lawyers for Jesus Radio. I'm Whit Brisky, a partner at the law firm of Malkin Baker, and we're talking with constitutional attorney and pastor, Colonel John Eidsmo. Uh, Colonel, uh, I interrupted you at the end because we had to take a break, but uh, there was a uh, commander here uh, who uh, uh, had a, a, uh, an idea of something that uh, would pr- maybe prevent this Baptist uh, chaplain from praying in the name of Jesus. And what was that uh, view? That commander simply said, there is no place for an evangelical chaplain in the United States Air Force. And that was an outlandish statement, but at the same time, he might have seen a coming conflict that some of the rest of us didn't see at that time. An evangelical believes that Everybody needs Jesus Christ, and so he believes he has a duty to fulfill the Great Commission and to convert others to his faith. And this commander seemed to feel that in today's military, that that simply can't be done without intruding upon the religious convictions of others. Let me give you one other example. And this is where you might say the roles were reversed. This is a young enlisted man, and he and his roommate were giving out evangelical tracts to others in the, I believe it was the Air Force, if I recall correctly. And anyway, the base chaplain called him in and simply said to him, I am responsible for the spiritual welfare of the men on this base. You are not. Who do you think you are giving out these tracts? That's my responsibility to meet their needs, not yours. Well, they insisted they had a duty to do so, and he said that if they continued on that, he was going to take it up with the base commander. Well, this man said that I was intimidated by that, and I stopped, but my roommate did not. The chaplain did take it to the base commander. What the chaplain did not know was that the base commander was a devout Southern Baptist who <laughs> set the chaplain in his place and <laughs> said that they are entitled to give out tracts as they wish, and you're not going to stop them. Well, you know, this this sort of uh, reminds me of something that's that's happened uh, already in the psychological, psychiatric profession and is happening in teaching and happening elsewhere where uh, the regulations and the rules are becoming uh, so tight on these issues of same-sex attraction or transgender that they're really forcing um, conservative Christians out of those professions. And I could see where if the rules tighten and uh, where these chaplains would be, that evangelical chaplains would be forced out of the military. Do you agree? I agree that could happen, and yet I have to say that so far, it seems like in the last several decades, the reverse has been true, that probably about two-thirds of chaplains in the military come from evangelical denominations, probably a greater number than that, from evangelical seminaries, and some say up to about 80% would be personally conservative and evangelical in their convictions. Now, there's a reason for that. The reason is that starting back perhaps in the 1960s with the Vietnam War and so on, you had our liberal mainline denominations in their seminaries, and frankly, the type of seminary graduates they were producing had very, very little interest in military service or chaplaincy. And as a result, the evangelical seminaries and evangelical chaplains filled in the gaps. And so you have a chaplain corps that probably is somewhat weighted on the side of conservative evangelicals today. 
And so that trend has been working the reverse. Now, the issues about same sex and things like that, those are serious issues, and I'm afraid those are going to increase. But on the day-to-day basis, that does not affect chaplains all that much. When those tensions occur, that is an exception. And as far as religious freedom in the military, I'll give you one very minor example that I had when I was on active duty. And I was a JAG, a Air Force lawyer, not a chaplain, but Mm -hmm. I had a young man come into my office and he explained to me that he was a Mormon. And as a Mormon, he had objections to coffee and he objected to being required to clean the coffee pots that he said was a compromise of his religious convictions, not that major a compromise that he probably would not have resisted, but he said, I'm willing to do other duty, latrine duty, anything else, but I'd like to be assigned to something else rather than cleaning the coffee pots. And I remember as I discussed this with the other JAGs and with a couple of the commanders there, the question they kept asking, do we have to allow him this exemption? Hmm. Well, I turned the question around And I think this is significant. I turned the question Mm -hmm. around and said, Mm -hmm. why can't we allow it? Plain fact of the matter is that the military is going to function much better when the spiritual needs of military personnel and their families are being met. And that being the case, we should be allowing them the full free exercise of their religious convictions, except in the rare instances when that might conflict with military necessity. Now, a recent order issued several months ago on religious liberty by President Trump, an order that applies to all divisions of the executive branch of government, and the military is part of the executive branch, provides exactly that, that military personnel, that all government personnel will not be penalized in any way for expressing or exercising their religious convictions, except when they conflict with military necessity, and Hopefully, that regulation, as it is implemented, is going to bring about some changes. I have one case right now that I am still working on. It involves a lieutenant colonel in the Air Force. He's now retired, but when he was on active duty in Afghanistan, he wrote a letter to the military publication Stars and Stripes in which he complained about the Air Force's double standard, the double standard of, on the one hand, muzzling Christians, and on the other hand, allowing and encouraging gays to come out and express themselves openly, he was issued a letter of reprimand for that letter to the Stars and Stripes. And while that's not technically a punishment, the practical effect of it is it goes on your record, and it really meant for him that the prospect in today's highly competitive environment of being selected for full colonel were probably nil. Anyway, he's retired since that time, but he's still challenging the letter of reprimand through the Board of Correction to Military Records. And one of the things that I am pointing out here is that with the standard that President Trump has announced, this would allow a greater freedom in this respect, and I'm suggesting the Board should consider his case in light of that new standard, even though it didn't technically apply at the time he wrote the letter. Yeah, I I agree, and I think uh, that standard ought to apply across the government because, and across society, that we should try to be uh, uh, to allow people to express their religious views uh, in society as long as they don't infringe others' liberties. So you're listening to Lawyers for Jesus Radio. I'm Whit Brisky from Malkin Baker. If you're just tuning in, we're with Colonel John Eidsmo, 
and talking about freedom of religion in the military. We've been talking particularly about military chaplains, uh, but I, I think I want to talk uh, particularly about uh, religious liberty more generally in the military, which, uh, Colonel, you've been, you've been alluding to. But uh, we have an all-volunteer force today. And uh, do you think that there's a, a danger that if we try to do this social engineering through the military, that we may either uh, discourage recruits who come from particularly cultures that uh, don't agree with this social engineering or maybe uh, harm our readiness? I certainly think both are a possibility. And with the instability that seems to be associated with transgenderism in particular, and also the uncertainty of the even the scholarly research on the subject right now to suddenly force transgenders upon the military, I think is a very dangerous step. The military is not supposed to be a place for social engineering. It is supposed to be a place where we have people who are fit to fight the nation's wars and win those nation's wars. And things like this that could jeopardize that, I think are in grave danger. Like you say, on the one hand, it could lead to less fitness. On the other hand, it could also discourage people who hold traditional values, for example, conservative Protestants, conservative Catholics, people who are Mormon and others like this. It could discourage them from entering the service. And so I think that the dangers of this are great. And at the very, very least, while the research on this is still uncertain, I think we should put this kind of experimentation on hold. I agree with that. And Colonel, uh, you've, you're the author of, uh, what is it, 14 books? Uh, can you tell us just briefly uh, a little bit about that and where you can get them? Well, the most recent is a three-volume set, which I know Rich Baker of your firm has now, three-volume set titled Historical and Theological Foundations of Law, dealing with God's laws that are seen throughout the ages. And another is called Christianity and the Constitution, dealing with the religious beliefs of our founding fathers and demonstrating from their own writings that the overwhelming majority of them were not deists or skeptics. But and where, were, can, where, fact, can, where can we get them, Colonel? we got, we got about uh, just a few seconds. Historical and Theological Foundations, you can get that. Well, any of them you can get through me. Just simply give me a call at 334-324-1812. Okay. Colonel, we appreciate your coming in. Uh, if you have a legal need or a question and want the perspective of a local Christian attorney, contact us at Malkin Baker. You can reach us at 312-726-1243, 312-726-1243, or at malkbaker.com, M-A-U-C-K-B-A-K-E-R.com. Malkin Baker is a Christian law firm based in Chicago, which serves churches, ministries, businesses, and individuals in their legal needs. Call us and mention Lawyers for Jesus Radio. Again, our number is 312-726-1243, and the website is malkbaker.com. Somebody, yes, indeed, you're gonna have to serve somebody.